Welcome to Mommy Diary, the podcast. I'm your host, Angela Kim. I'm a creative, lifestyle blogger, and mom of four. This podcast is all about honest stories of motherhood and real conversations with real mothers just like you. Unlike my Instagram account, not everything will be beautiful. I promise to be vulnerable and share stories of all the struggles and the incredible moments we all share as women and mothers. So do me a favor and screenshot this episode, add it to your IG stories, then tag me at Mommy Diary. I'd love to feature you on my Insta stories. We're all in this together, mamas. Let's dive into the show. Welcome to episode two of Mommy Diary, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. On today's episode, I want to talk more about postpartum depression and anxiety. And if you've been following me for some time, you guys know that this is a topic that I feel very strongly about. I'm an advocate of postpartum depression, anxiety, um, just mental health in general, but especially as it relates to, to new mothers, because I feel that motherhood is such a vulnerable and um, lonely. It's a very complex journey and there are so many different emotions, good and bad, that I think need to be discussed more as a community. So today I wanted to share with you guys more about my story. Some of you guys have read it on my blog, but if you haven't, um, I know you guys are all really busy and these are in my very old blog posts about six years ago. So I wanted to kind of go over my story and share with you guys where my entire journey began because ultimately Mommy Diary was born out of those days. So just to recap quickly, so I had really bad postpartum depression. I was diagnosed uh, with clinical depression by two different people, two different very credible and knowledgeable psychologists and a psychotherapist. And so I was healing, you know, I was going to talk therapy. I was taking antidepressants, which I will discuss more in detail later, but I needed more. I needed more of a soul level, a deeper level healing. And it was a time of um, amazing transformation. I am so thankful for that time of my life. But back then, of course, it, you know, it didn't feel good. So I was really desperately trying to find ways to like heal and to really get better for my children. And my therapist, of course, asked me, you know, what do you like to do? I said, I love to write and blog. I loved blogging. I had a blog in college called Zanga. I'm totally dating myself here, but. I also had like Asian Avenue, which I don't know if you guys remember, but so pretty much I am like an OG blogger. I use whatever they came out with the new blogging or micro blogging platform. I was on it. So um, I think I was always meant to do this for a living, even though back then I had no idea I can actually make a career out of this. But anyway, I want to share more about that later. But going back to my depression story. She said, yeah, you know, you need to start blogging. Try that. You know, you need a creative outlet. So I, my first blog was called The Gratitude Tree, where I started jotting down all the things I'm grateful for. And on my lowest days, I couldn't find anything to be grateful for. You know, when you're in depression and you're having a really tough time, it's really hard. You know, everyone, it's easy now for me to count my blessings, but back then it wasn't so easy. So if you're at this point, please know that that is a normal process of this journey. So on some days, I would literally just write, I'm thankful I have two legs and two arms. I'm thankful I can walk. I'm thankful I can eat. I'm thankful I can see. And, you know, this might sound really like dumb, but if you think about it, there are people who don't even have that. There are, there are people in this world who are blind. They have to be in a wheelchair. They can't function without medication. Like my daughter, Elise, she takes seizure meds every day, two to three times a day. And it's hard, you know, for some people, this is their everyday life. So if you really look, you know, get 
this wider perspective about life and just people in general, there are so many things. There's always things to be grateful for. Even if your days seem so long and dark and your spouse is not cooperative and you don't know where this marriage is going to lead to, your kids are acting out, you know, your parents are pressuring you about something, whatever your issue is, please know that there is always something to be grateful for. So that was my first blog, Gratitude Tree. My second one, so after writing in this private journal that no one knew about for, uh, I don't know, like six months, I got bored. I thought, man, I would love to connect with people. This is kind of lonely. Like I like, you know, this attitude of gratitude, but I want to connect with people because this is when I was, you know, spending a lot of my days at home. And I was never really able to find a mom group that I could really relate to. My friends weren't really around. And, you know, this is something that I want to discuss more on a later episode when I discuss more about my first daughter and my special needs parenting journey. But for now, I'll leave it at that. So I was just very lonely. So my second um, blog was called Love Angelisa. And it was a combination of my name, Angela, and then my two daughters' names, Elise and Tessa. So I thought, ooh, Angelisa, and I want to, you know, turn this into a lifestyle blog. So that was kind of like the, you know, the before mommy diary came about. So, you know, I made a few online friends. I made a few blogging friends, but it still didn't feel right because I was talking about all things outside, like, you know, what I'm eating and where I'm going, you know, what I'm doing, what we're wearing. And it just felt very, um, like not enough, you know, very, surface level. And I guess what I really needed for healing was a more deeper soul level awareness. And that is how Mommy Diary was born. I came up with that name because one, you know, mom, (laughs) one reason was because I wanted to make it very SEO friendly. So I didn't want to make it so complicated. I knew I wanted to use this blog to connect with more moms and um, diary because honesty, you know, like where else are you more honest than in your diary? And of course, you know, there are things I don't share every aspect of my life, but I do like to share a lot because, you know, one, because it's something that helps me to process and heal. But I also know that my stories can help someone else out there. I've received, you know, so many emails, sometimes anonymous emails over the years that you know, of moms that tell me like they are getting help because of my blog posts. They're talking to a therapist. They're getting the help that they need. They don't feel so alone anymore. And that is when I feel so, so grateful to be here. And that is where I feel the most sense of reward. So of course, you know, this blogging journey, you know, it's um, giving me a source of income now and I'm having a lot of fun with it. But at the very core of it all lies my desire to connect with you guys and my desire to be a lending voice and to share my stories so that I can give you guys this um, glimpse of hope, you know, because right now my story is great and I really have struggled through all of that and found so much joy in my life. And, you know, things are still not perfect. My first daughter never grew out of her special needs. She's still on medication. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle. She's 15 years old now and has a whole nother, you know, list of things that we need to deal with, but it's okay. Like my life isn't perfect, but I'm truly, truly thankful. And I found joy, genuine joy in my life. And I want to give you guys hope that it's possible. You know, right now it may feel like it's not going to get better. And I used to feel that too, but it will get better. Trust me, it will get better. And repeat after me, things will get better. I promise you, just keep following my story and listen to, you know, where I've come. And hopefully my journey will give you guys hope that things will get better because trust me, my story was pretty turbulent. So anyway, um, going back to that. So I struggled with depression mainly because I had a two very close uh, back-to-back pregnancy. So I had my daughter, everything was healthy, everything was normal, and she started showing signs of uh, developmental delay and 
right when she turned one, I was breastfeeding for a long time. I think that just really did had a huge impact on my body and my hormones. And then um, as soon as her first birthday passed and I was trying to wean, I was pregnant again with my second daughter. So pretty much I spent like two and a half years pregnant, breastfeeding and pregnant again. I think I just crashed. So after my second daughter, I mean, that was a very smooth pregnancy. I had no symptoms of depression during my pregnancy. Everything was good. You know, I was just still trying to find solutions, trying to find ways to help my first daughter. Um, I was just learning about the special needs journey. So we were meeting therapists and going to different doctor's appointments, seeing genetic counselors. At this point, they couldn't really find anything because it's really hard to find um, like a clear diagnosis when they're that little. And, uh, yeah, I was living my life. Everything was good. I was induced and I think being induced and all of that, like bringing a child into the world before your body's ready, unless it's for medical reasons, of course, I think that has a, a negative effect on moms. But again, that's like my own personal theory. And I want to discuss more about like my labor and delivery experiences too on a later podcast, but. I remember this time I came home and I had this like sudden burst of energy. Like it was crazy. And of course I was on meds because my um, post labor contractions were so painful after giving birth that I was on like the 600 milligram Advil. It wasn't enough. So they gave me Vicodin, which I should not have taken. But you know, when you're on these pain meds, you feel better about yourself. And I didn't know that that was masking my pain. No one told me to slow down. So. I came home. I felt great. I was like cleaning. Like this is like day two after giving birth. I was cleaning. I was taking photos of her, uploading my photos and sharing with all my family and friends. So my husband and my parents, everyone who was around me thought, oh, like Angela's totally fine. This is her second baby. And she got it. And I thought I got it. So from then my postpartum journey began. And wow, looking back, it was like, what was I thinking? I should have slowed down. I shouldn't have been cleaning. I should have just been resting, let, letting my body rest. I should have allowed people to bring me food to help me, you know, help me with the baby, with the diaper changes at nighttime. But I think I was like running on adrenaline or oxytocin, you know, whatever hormones your body produces. And I went like that for about six weeks. So sleeping you know, like two, three hours a day, waking up around the clock, breastfeeding exclusively. My husband went back to work really fast. Like he had a commission job, so he couldn't really afford to stay home much. And this is before I had income. So I, he went back to work, I think after like four or five days and my uh, parents were around to help. Um, not my dad, my mom, but she of course was focusing on Elise and Elise had special needs. So even her was just a lot to handle at the time. So she was doing her best to help with my situation. But with the newborn, I had no help. So I went like that for six months. And then one day, I just crashed. I remember waking up one morning. And it's so crazy because it was like I was fine. I was fine. And the next morning, I was not. It was like the weirdest feeling. I remember waking up one morning. I opened my eyes. And then I thought, I just want to sink into this bed and never wake up again. I don't want to wake up. It was a really strange feeling. So it wasn't like a feeling of, oh, I want to die or, oh, I'm so sad. It was just this like strange, numb feeling of, I don't want to do anything. Like, I wish I didn't have to do anything. But of course, you know, a mom does not not do anything. So I got my body out of bed. I woke up, baby was crying. I fed her. I changed her diaper like I have been for the past six or seven weeks. But there was like this gray cloud over me. I don't know if any of you guys um, have seen that Zoloft commercial. Like That's really what it feels like is there's this gray cloud that just follows you everywhere. So it's almost like a feeling of looking in like, like you're an outsider looking in or like you're in your little bubble um, with this uh, constant, you know how Olaf in the Frozen 2 has like his own uh, snow cloud to keep him cool? It's like that. Like it's like I had my own cloud of darkness and depression and sadness that just followed me everywhere. 
So everywhere else, it's sunny. Everyone's fine. My husband's okay. My mom's okay. My kids are okay. I mean, back then, I guess it was just the least. But so the outside world was fine. It was just me. It was the strangest feeling. And I started writing in my journal um, because, you know, my husband was young too. And I didn't know how to express this feeling. Like, what do you say? Oh, I'm sad. Oh, I don't want to get up. Like, what do you really say? Right. So we didn't have the right communication skill at the time looking back. So it'll, a lot of like my difficult emotions that I was struggling with would come out in like a form of resentment or anger. So I wouldn't say anything. And then, you know, if the baby's crying, my husband's like with my daughter outside watching TV, I would just yell like, can't you just get her? Like, do you not hear that? You know, like that's how it'll come out. And of course he'll just be like, wow, like, whoa, where is this coming from? Like, why are you yelling at me? What's wrong? You know, and it was just like that was our cycle of communication. And I'll hold it in and I'll go like another two or three days feeling this alone, like super just confused. But luckily I was writing in my journal at the time. I was logging every day how how, how I was feeling that day. And I'm so thankful for this because those journal entries are like a constant reminder of how a mom feels during that time. It's just so enlightening. Like I, I, I'm so happy that I'm so thankful for my past self for keeping that. And you guys can see this. You guys can read this, these journal entries on my blog, but very simple, but very profound thoughts. So yeah. So I would go like two, three days holding it all in. I'll journal, you know, but I'm not really laughing or enjoying my life. I'm not really, you know, able to find appreciation for this new life with, uh, as a mom of two. And then I'll hold it in. And then one night my husband's doing something. I'll say, Hey, like, do you not see that pile of dishes? Like, when are you going to start helping me again? It just comes out in like a form of anger. It was just really hard on our marriage. It was really hard on me. I'm sure it was hard on my husband. It was just a really hard time. So with that said, I'm sure there's some of you guys out there who's experienced it. And, you know, depression and anxiety, they come in, it's a spectrum. So the um, symptoms don't always look the same. Some symptoms can be mild and others can be more severe. You may not have all the symptoms, but then the way doctors, professionals diagnose you is they'll give you a list of questions and you just answer them. Yes, no, sometimes. And I think if you answer, if you check yes for like six or seven or more, then that's it. Like that's how they diagnose you. It's so simple. So if you think about it, you don't need a medical professional to tell you. I mean, of course you should get, you should always seek medical attention, but you know, you know, like when you have it, you just know you don't need someone's approval to tell you or someone's confirmation. Like you just know. So these are some lists of symptoms of postpartum depression, not just postpartum, but just depression in general. So one, you feel guilty, you feel overwhelmed, you feel empty and numb, you feel resentful and angry. I had all of these symptoms. You feel hopeless and you feel off. And I want to stop there. Like you really feel off as in I would get these really weird like headaches or like this ringing sound in my brain. And this ringing sound will go off and I'll just feel like it's like almost like a out of body experience. And it's like complete numbness. Like, where am I? What am I doing here? And then, you know, a baby crying or something will just kind of bring you back. But I felt this. You feel really off. So, you know, if you feel, I'm sure some of you guys can relate to this feeling. Please pay attention to your feelings because those feelings are not normal. I don't feel that now. So, Back then, you know, I almost felt like, is this the new me? Like, is this what happens when you have two kids? You know, I'll talk about that in detail, but you're so lost, you know, in all your emotions. And then continuing on, you want to cry for hours and days. You can't eat or you eat too much. You can't sleep or you sleep too much. For me, I lose appetite. I lose my appetite. I don't really want to eat and I sleep a lot. I stress sleep. Even till this day, sleeping is so like important to me. It's my lifeline. I cannot function without sleep. So 
when I went six to seven, you know, weeks without sleeping, I think once I realized that I was, you know, clinically depressed, I definitely got more rest as much as I can. But, you know, it's not, it wasn't enough. But for me, sleeping is very healing. But when you're depressed, like you turn to that too much and you're sleeping too much, like, too much and you never feel rested or energized. So that's a very popular symptom of depression, sleeping or not being able to sleep. And you fantasize about disappearing or running away, which I did. Um, you feel unfit to be a mom. I totally felt that. And you feel disconnected from your baby. I never felt disconnected. Like I always loved my child. I never felt thought about like harming my baby, but there were moments when I felt disconnected from myself, which made me feel disconnected from everyone around me. So it wasn't just the baby. It was, I felt disconnected from my baby, my husband, my first daughter, my parents, church, God, everything. I felt disconnected from everything. And you worry too much. And this is where anxiety can kind of come into play too. I remember feeling uh, not with my second because during this time, I was like scared to leave my house. Looking back, I had anxiety too, because why would I be so scared to leave the home? But I think I thought about all the things I couldn't do. Like, oh, I cannot handle if I go out to the grocery store and, you know, my first daughter, because she had special needs. So she had like very... Um, sensory issues. So she would just cry. Like her emotions were very big. And I didn't know how to really, um, she had, she didn't have coping skills. Of course, she's still young and I didn't know how to cope with that. So pretty much I just stayed home because being home and depressed was easier than being outside and depressed. Um, I think I went out one time when my second daughter was like five or six weeks old. Cause I was so tired of being cooped up in the house. I took both of them to Nordstrom and Oh my gosh, like both of my kids cried so much. I stayed in the, you know, the mother's lounge for about three hours by myself with like these screaming kids. They were just screaming, crying. One was crying, one was screaming. It was so traumatizing. And I remember feeling so unfit. And after that incident, I just stopped going out. But with my son, I think I had like a tinge of uh, anxiety as well because with my son, I didn't have like these really overwhelming sense of depression, but I had like glimpses of it, which I will, I think I will go over this in more detail later. But I think once you have it, like you get flashbacks, it's almost like your body has memory and your mind has memory and like when you're placed in that moment where you were feeling depressed, like for example, I have a three-month-old daughter. She's turning three months tomorrow, actually. And sometimes I'll be up late at night feeding her in the dark at like 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And like this feeling, this wave of memories will wash over me. And I know, oh shoot, like this is how I used to feel. Luckily now, I have better coping skills and I have the awareness and, you know, I'm just a lot, I've healed so that I don't go back to that dark place, but I can see how for some moms, this could be like a recurring thing. I can see how, you know, you get over it with your first and you've never completely healed. You have another baby, it's going to come back. It might look differently and you're not completely dealing with it. You have another baby, like it'll come back. So I want to, I want to suggest that if you had any of these symptoms, regardless of the severity, please do something about it. Like don't keep shoving it inside because it needs to be brought out and you need to heal for once and for all. Because once you heal, it might, you know, you might get triggers, but it's never going to impact you the way it used to. And depression or anxiety can't, you know, I know for some people it's like a lifelong thing, but you will find healthy ways to manage. So I want to tell you guys that. Oh, so going back to anxiety with my son. So with him, I didn't have like the depressive symptoms, but I remember wanting to go to Hobby Lobby because I wanted to find some stuff for his room. I uh, put him in the car seat behind me and I strapped him in. Everything was good. And I started like backing out. And then so I started my car. I started backing out. And then I got like these like scary visions of a car like coming and crashing into my car, like on his side. And I started shaking 
And I, it was so paralyzing. And I felt like, oh shoot, like I can't move. I can't go anywhere. Like something bad is going to happen. And of course, anxiety can look like so many different ways, but that was one way in which I experienced anxiety. So I ended up not going. So it was that thought was so overpowering in my mind that, you know, I was like taking deep breaths and I was, you know, saying my affirmations like, you know, this, these are imagined feelings. This is not real. You're going to be okay, Angela. Like breathe. I was talking to myself. I always talk to myself, by the way, but I think it's a very healthy habit. But anyway, I was doing all of that, but still I just could not shake off like that vision that I had. So. I ended up not leaving and came back home and, you know, it's okay. Tomorrow's a new day, right? So that's how I used to feel anxiety. So all the other lists of uh, postpartum depression and anxiety symptoms that I shared with you guys earlier, if you feel those, please talk to somebody. If you have no one to talk to, like, send me a message. You can email me, DM me on Instagram, or like leave me a comment and say, hey, I'm sending you an email because sometimes it takes me some time to get to all my DMs. So yeah, you guys can always talk to me, but please talk to someone. This is very important because this is not something that you're you're not meant to do this alone. So I wanted to add a little note on antidepressants because I've received this question before. So I did take antidepressants. It was um, called Cymbalta. And please note that a psychologist cannot prescribe medication to you. Only a psychiatrist can. So my psychiatrist prescribed Cymbalta to me and she said that I will have to take it at least for a year. And I was so desperate at the time and I needed it. I needed to like just start living again. So I started taking it. And I felt better initially. Maybe it's the placebo effect. I don't know. I I did feel better for about a month. And then it started getting worse again. I started feeling even more like worse. I felt more numb. And I didn't like not having emotion. Like before that, I would feel numb, but I would still feel sadness. I would still feel resentment, you know, with maybe occasional joy and love. But when I was on medication, I felt none of that. Like I wasn't sad. I wasn't angry, but I wasn't happy either. It was almost like a version of me, but not a normal version of me, but a, a numb version of me. Like I just felt like I had no emotion and I hated that. I didn't realize I hated myself not having emotion until that moment. Like I was always a sensitive child, always had a lot of maybe like shame for feeling so deeply because I always had very like deep emotions, but that experience taught me I like myself with emotion. I love myself with emotion. I don't like myself without emotion. So that was a huge uh, learning lesson for me. And then what's worse is I started getting manic symptoms. Like my brain would start racing. And I would get these like bursts of crazy creative energy. Like I would just like sit at my desk and just write, write, write. I got these racing thoughts and these thoughts were like, I mean, to be honest, some of them sounded very amazing, like a genius. Like I was an artistic genius. I was writing poetry, like stuff that I've never written before. And I wonder if that's why a lot of, you know, these artists have like bipolar or some type of mental illness. Cause I can see how you can create something so beautiful and revolutionary when you're feeling that high. That's what it was. Like I felt this high. So sometimes I'll feel numb and then I'll feel this amazing high and I loved it. I almost felt like invincible, but you know what? I knew that wasn't normal. Like I knew the meds was doing that to me. So, you know, like my thing, I, I just, because I'm a reader, I grew up a reader, whatever something's up, but I research and I read about it. So I read like all these books about like manic depression, bipolar and all of this stuff and its relationship with creativity and art. And I got into this like zone, but in the end, long story short, I weaned myself because I didn't like it. I wanted to feel normal again and it's not recommended. So I don't want you guys to do what I did. You guys want to always wean off your meds following your physician's guidance. But I think for me, I knew like at this time, at this point, I had already been doing a lot of uh, healing work. I was doing yoga. I was journaling. You know, I was eating better. I was expressing my needs better. I was asking for help. So at this 
point, I felt confident. And so I weaned. The doctor told me I had to take the meds for a year and I didn't. I took it for about two, three months. And oh gosh, the weaning part was so bad. I got these really bad brain zaps. I had really crazy emotions. Like I would have these emotional meltdowns. I would cry. It was just a really, really hard time, but I had to like just push through because I knew that was part of the detoxing stage. And slowly and slowly, I started getting better. So when it comes to meds, it's a very individual, personal choice. And I would always recommend you to consult with a licensed professional. But that was my experience. And if I, if that was to happen to me again, I would find other ways. Without medication, I would find other ways to get through. And, you know, remember, I was diagnosed with clinical depression by multiple people. It was pretty bad, but I got through it and you can too. So with that said, how did I overcome depression? Of course, number one, the most important, self-care, self-care, self-care. That is the only way you can get out of this. You need to take care of yourselves. If you're not kind to yourself, if you're not sleeping when you need sleep, if you don't love yourself, if you don't truly value yourself, who will value you? Who will love you? No one will. And this is a really harsh truth that took me a long time to come to terms with. But no matter what, not even your husband, not even your mom, not even your dad, nobody, not even your kids, no one will love you and take care of you the way you can love you and take care of you. So please, like to be the ultimate loving person, to be the ultimate selfless mother, you have to be selfish when it comes to yourself. Please don't think being selfish with yourself, taking care of yourself is a bad thing. It is not. The, the martyr culture, trust me, I'm a Korean American, like a lot of Korean women in my culture, they're martyrs, a hundred percent martyrs. They work 40 hours a week. They do all the house chores in the house. They cook, they clean, they raise these amazing kids, send them off to college, like these great colleges. It's too much pressure. And you know what happens at the end of their lives? A lot of them are unhappy. And I observe this over and over again. A lot of women in my culture, like the older generation, they're not happy. A lot of them are divorced. A lot of them are separated. They have a bad relationship with their children. They have some type of boundary issues. They're codependent. They have a lot of issues. Why? And I'm not blaming them. Like I have so much empathy for them, but the biggest reason is because they did not practice self-care regularly while they were raising their children. When I say self-care, it's not something that you do one time and it's done. You take care of yourself every single day. And I want to dedicate another episode to uh, ways in which you can take care of yourself. So please stay tuned for that. But please take care of yourself. And that can look different for people, you know, whether you need time with their friends or you need a spa day, manicure and pedicure, you need to get your hair done or, you know, go to the, go to Target or go to Starbucks and get your favorite cup of coffee, whatever that looks like. Take care of yourself every single day. There is always time to take care of yourself. And when you're, when your mind keeps, when your mind starts to play tricks on you, because I don't know, I think mothers are hardwired to always feel guilty for this. When your mind tells you you're a bad mom, you don't have time, there's no time for self-care, like all your time should go to your children, like silence it. Say, no, that is not true. What you're telling me is not true. I'm going to take care of myself because I always have time to take care of myself. You have, you can always find 30 minutes to an hour. You know, this is like something we have to discuss more um, to really do that. If you feel that you don't even have 30 minutes or let's say an hour for yourself, then you need to reprioritize your days and hopefully we'll have a better conversation about that with the guests at a later time. But self-care every day, mamas, every single day. And don't be a martyr because when you are a martyr, what are you teaching your children? So I have three daughters now 
And my teenager, my 13 year old, she sees me getting my hair done or, you know, go getting facials once in a while. She'll see me saying, Hey, I'm mommy's working. So, you know, you guys don't come into this room. Um, I'm going to lock my door. She sees that. And, you know, I think sometimes she does think it's selfish. Like, gosh, mom, like it's all about you. Right. But you know what? It's okay. Cause I know that. One day when she becomes a mom, I want her to be like this. I want her to have her own space, have clear boundaries with her husband and her children. I want her to be selfish in self-care. So I am practicing this that I'm teaching her through my action. She may not understand right now. None of your kids may understand, but it's okay because the best way for us to teach our children to model self-care is by practicing it ourselves. So don't be a martyr because if you're being a martyr, if you're living as a martyr today, that's the message you're sending to your children, especially your daughters. As they grow, become mothers and move on to their marriages, you're teaching them that a woman has to be a martyr to be lovable, which is so not true. This leads to my next point. Another great way to overcome this is to find your passion. You have to find your passion. There's something you're good at. I promise you, everyone has some, something that they're good at, that they love, whether that's cooking, sewing, making something, exercise. I don't know, uh, even like organizing. Some women made a career out of organizing because they're amazing organizers, whatever it is, baking, running, whatever it is, find your passion. Um, and to do that, you need to spend more time with yourself in stillness. And again, this being this notion of being still to come in contact with your higher self, with your true voice, that goes with self-care. And I want to talk about that more on a later episode, but spend more time with yourself, quiet those outside voices and really ask yourself, Ask your childhood self, what do I love to do? Because I assure you, there is that one thing or two things that you loved to do as a child. And I believe that a lot of our God-given talents show up earlier in life. So if you're like 18 years old and you don't really know where you're going, I feel like that happens because of like lack of support, maybe a lack of experience. But there's always something that you gravitated towards as a child. Um, for me, it was reading. Like I spent so many hours reading books and that led to writing. I loved photography. Like that was my favorite class in high school. So more on that later, but please find time with yourself and find your own passion and ask for help. And this kind of goes back to being a martyr. We women are so bad at asking for help. I think partly I used to think it was like a strength thing, like because I'm strong and I'm the oldest of three kids and I never really asked for help. I always felt like it was my job to just handle shit on my own. Um, my parents were immigrant parents. They were busy and I didn't want to burden them and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I think it comes down to pride. I think not asking for help is like, or at least for me, I felt like asking for help meant I was weak and I didn't want to be perceived as weak, which is like the biggest bullshit ever. It's a toxic belief in our system and patriarchy that, you know, women, we women, when it comes to motherhood and childbearing and all of this can't ask for help and asking for help means we're weak. It's not true because regardless, trust me, mothers are strong. Like we're not weak. But anyway, always ask for help. And I've gotten a lot better with that. So now if I'm tired, I need extra sleep, I'll ask my husband, honey, you know, can you please take the kids? I need some more rest. And he knows now he's, you know, we've grown so much. I think we're both very fair. Like if he needs his rest, I let him have his rest, although he might disagree. Um, we have our things that we do. For us, I do more cleaning and organizing and dishes and laundry. I do more of that because that's what I'm better at. He does more of the cooking, the playing. He helps with that. So we have our roles now, but so I'm not a martyr. He's martyr, martyr. He's not a martyr. I think we are, we have a pretty fair distribution of roles, but it took a long time to figure this out. Another thing that helped me was 
spirituality, like connecting to God. So I actually checked myself in to like a retreat by myself because I didn't want to, you know, I looked into some church retreats, but I don't know. I really wanted to spend time with myself. So there was like this retreat center in Orange County. Um, for the weekend. And of course you have to pay. It was a big investment. And I'm glad I did that. I checked myself in. And I just spent the day like walking around, you know, I did mass. I had my little journal. I wrote down my thoughts and my prayers. I did reading. I read the Bible. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are curious about my religion. I have, I would, I grew up Catholic. My husband's family is very devout Christian. My father-in-law is a retired pastor. He had a church for many, many years. So we both grew up very religious. Right now, I'd say labels don't matter. I really don't think what you are doesn't matter. It's about your relationship with God. And I firmly believe that. But now I consider myself very spiritual. I believe in God and I believe in, and I respect all the, all the religions. I think there's so much beauty in these religions, whether you're Muslim or Buddhist or Hinduism. Um, I've just learned a lot. I've read a lot and I found beauty in so many different religions. It's really hard for me to only say like, I am this and this is all I am. So yeah, that's kind of reflected. I'm sure you guys can tell on my spiritual posts. And yoga really helped me a lot. Yoga was a big one because yoga is one exercise that is very like mind, body, and soul. So it not only gives you great exercise and really tones you, it's really great for your core and your muscles, but most importantly, it's so great for your soul and your mind. Like after an hour of practice, Towards the end, I would feel this amazing oneness with myself. And now I know that is God. Before I didn't know that. Uh, more on that later, but I feel this incredible oneness with myself, with God, with the universe, with everything. Like I just feel so connected. And, you know, doing yoga helped me greatly. And of course, talk therapy helped a lot. I spent years in therapy. I went through so many different therapists. And this is one word of advice with uh, therapy is you got to really find the right person. Not every therapist is good for you. And, you know, everyone has, we're all human, right? So we all have different belief systems. So uh, my very first therapist, she was a PhD, like very highly educated person and I remember when I first went in for my appointment and she wrote on this prescription pad, she said, okay, I want you to go home and get nine hours of sleep every day for the next week. I remember thinking like, are you crazy lady? How am I supposed to get nine hours of sleep? Like who's going to watch my baby? Did I just tell you I don't have a babysitter and my husband works and I don't have that kind of help? I don't know. Sometimes I feel like a lot of these like professionals are so detached from the person like who is suffering, you know, and I don't blame them. It's something that it's, that's, it's something that is really hard to understand until you're in it. But yeah, so make sure you, you find, you seek the right therapist. Yeah, see, going to therapy was a great investment for myself, not because they helped me so much. It was more like they were a guide. So one, I needed to vent. There is amazing amount of healing that happens when you're just telling your story, just being honest without fear of judgment. And you can't do this with your family or even your friends. It's There's a huge relief in sharing your vulnerability and honesty with a third party who doesn't really know you personally. A great therapist will always use, and I think I'm going to dedicate an episode about this too, but a good therapist should kind of know what works for you. Like for me, it was reading. So, you know, they'll always recommend readings, which I'll do. But if you're not a reader, they recommend books. And if you're not reading, it's not going to help. They'll be able to guide you into the right direction because you have to do homework for the therapy to be effective. That one hour or that 15 minute session is not enough. You have to, you know, get whatever you could get out of that. Come home and you need to like the doing part. It, it's on you. So 
the success of therapy. If you've seen a therapist and you didn't feel that it was helpful, it's most likely because the therapist was not a good fit or because you didn't do your homework. You didn't do your part. So more on that later. Oh, and what really helped me is a change in perspective. I was saying a lot of, I need to do this. I need to wash the dishes. Oh, shoot. I need to cook dinner today. Oh, I better do this laundry. Instead of I should or I need to, I replace that with I get to. And once I started doing this, at first it sounds a little foreign because it's like, what difference does it make? But it makes a huge difference, guys. It's all about affirmation and having the right perspective. So instead of saying, I need to do the dishes or I need to cook for my kids, imagine every day you're saying, I get to cook for my kids. I get to do the dishes. I get to play with them. I get to clean today. It's just that simple change of perspective can change your entire outlook. And this is why, you know, a lot of the spiritual leaders say, be careful of how you speak things into the universe. Be careful of how you speak about yourself. And, you know, that's a whole nother episode in itself, but Yes, this is like, it works as a, as an affirmation. So replace your I should, I need with I get to. And lastly, create something new. You know, do something, create something. There is so much healing and power in create, creating something new. As mothers, we're creating these new human beings. Of course, you know, if you're religious, you would say, it's not me, it's God, but No, you're doing it too. Don't be completely passive in this. You are a big part of this amazing miracle of creation. You're creating new life. You are amazing. You are a goddess. You are so full of divine potential. Like that, that's what really bothers me is when a lot of these religious women, and I'm not saying that they're bad, you know, but a lot of these religious women, they minimize themselves so much to the point where they're too humble. And, you know, humility is great, but oftentimes throughout history, patriarchy, that's what patriarchy does. They use our natural innate love, our natural humility to keep us in a structure, like to keep us down and to keep us low. And I learned this over the years, but please do not do that to yourself. Please do not minimize your role in motherhood. You are amazing. You are a goddess. You are doing something that no other male can do. You have infinite potential and you are able to heal and you are able to create and you are able to do this, whatever that this is. And that's something I'm hoping you'll discover as you spend more time with me, but you are a goddess. You are amazing and you are full of divine potential. Please repeat that to yourself every day because you are mama. So when you're depressed, when you're anxious, you know, when you're kind of living in this lower vibrational world, it's most likely because you're not doing these things. And I know that transition is not easy. Um, it could, it could have been culturally ingrained. It could be a childhood thing. You know, I didn't know when I was young, I would complain a lot. I always thought I was unlucky. I mean, that's a whole other topic, but I used a lot of like low vibrational words to describe myself and my experiences. I was like in this victim mode and I did a lot of blaming, had a lot of resentment and a lot of, you know, lower level existence. And I think that is what attributed to a big part of my postpartum depression and anxiety. Of course, we have family history as well. And I think genetics do play a part in it. I know for a lot of people, they do all of these things, but they still have it severely because it's just in their family. And if you're one of those people, like God bless your heart, my heart is with you. But I also believe though, even with that, you can still heal and you can still find the highest, your highest self. I 100% believe that without a doubt. So please do not use these limiting beliefs to put yourself in a certain category because 
That's not what God wants from us. And that is not how we're meant to exist in this world. So yeah, wow, that was a lot. So through my experience, you know, I've learned so much. Through that came my blog. I began to create. I began to connect. I began to find people that resonate with me. I kind of grew away from a lot of my old friends and I never really felt very understood by even my old, old friends because I think I just maybe attracted you know, certain people that didn't always serve me well. And now I'm a lot more mindful of that. And I think we can spend a lot more time discussing these things. But please, if you are feeling any of these symptoms today, you're not alone. I got you. I see you. I feel you. And you can get out of this. Please talk to somebody. And if you don't have anyone in your life, I will be that person for you. So you can reach out to me. You can email me at Angela at mommy-diary.com. You can DM me on Instagram at mommy diary. If you DM me, please like leave a comment so that I can go to my DM to see your message because sometimes I get so many messages, it gets buried and I don't check it. And I, and if it's you guys, wanting to reach out to me regarding this, I will make it a priority and um, we can definitely talk more about it and I will be the person to connect with you. So please, you're not alone. If you would like more information, go to my website, mommy-diary.com. I have a whole section dedicated to postpartum depression. You can Use a search bar and just type in postpartum or postpartum depression. You will find a lot of articles there with the different symptoms, with my story, how I went from postpartum depression to cherishing my postpartum body. I have a lot of personal stories on there that can kind of piggyback off the messages that I sent today and the stories I shared today. So please check that out. And thank you so much for spending your time with me. And let me know your feedback because as I create these different episodes, I want to hear from you guys what you guys would like to hear from me. And that can determine what type of guests I have on here. I'm so excited for this journey. You have no idea. Like it's scary starting something new and it's going to be hard. I have four kids in the house, so it's really hard to find a quiet time to record these episodes, but I am so happy to be here. Thank you guys for listening. I love you. Thank you. And I'll talk to you guys next week. You are my sunlight. Thanks so much for listening to Mommy Diary, the podcast. If you can relate to any of my stories, my hope is that you leave this episode feeling a little less alone and a lot more inspired. For more parenting and lifestyle stories, head over to my blog, mommy-diary.com or join me on Instagram at mommydiary. If you're loving this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a 5-star review. I love connecting with you, so send me a DM and let me know what you'd like to hear next. Talk to you next week.